Well, I want to welcome all of you this morning to City. So thankful that you're here. And um, I just wanted to tell you at the outset, as Pastor Keith already referenced, that we have a very simple mission or vision statement here at City. And it's this, calling people to follow Jesus and to serve others. When I first began to read the Newer Testament as a preteen boy, that's what I came to understand that the scriptures are all about. They're all about a God who reaches out to us so that we could be in relationship with God, but not only that, that God is deeply concerned about our relationships with each other. And so as I began to grow in faith and understand who Jesus was and what it meant to follow Him, I clearly began to understand that following Jesus and serving others was really the central theme of the Newer Testament. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue our teaching or sermon series that has been focused on the title of Rise. If you have been with us throughout the Easter season, you know that we are still in the Easter sermon series. The reason for that is, is because almost every church takes the 40 days prior to Easter and really focuses on the build-up to Easter. But I want you to clearly understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central reality of the Newer Testament. The resurrection's everything. If Jesus Christ had not been resurrected from the dead, you would have never heard about Jesus. You would have never heard about Christmas. You would have never heard about any of His teachings. He would have evaporated into history. But because Jesus, on the third day, was resurrected from the dead, we sit here 2,000 years later and we still talk about Him. And so, what we're doing here at City is we're taking the almost 40 days after Easter as well. Because if you were to look at the biblical build-up to Easter, you would figure out there are 40 days that build up to Easter. But there's approximately 39 or 40 days from Jesus' resurrection to His ascension into heaven. And so we're going to be continuing with this theme of Easter or rise or the resurrection because of how important it is. Now what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at a biblical story called the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. Now before we read more Scripture than we normally do, I just want to give you the backdrop to the road to Emmaus and the Scriptures we're getting ready to read. It's this. The road to Emmaus follows Jesus' death, burial, crucifixion, and resurrection. This event called the road to Emmaus that we're going to be taking a look at this event happens the very day that Jesus is raised from the dead. Now before this event though, if you were to read in the Gospels, you would discover that there were a bunch of women who went to the tomb of Jesus and they were there as He was raised from the dead and there's these different events that take place. The Gospel of Luke uploads to us that there were several women, we know from the Gospel of John, that one of them was called Mary the wife of Clopas. There was also Mary Magdalene. There was the other Mary and a woman named Joanna. 
And so what we find in the Gospel prior to the road to Emmaus is that there are these women that have experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And in the Gospel of Luke, we learn that two angels approach the women at the tomb. They go in. They do not find the body. They're upset by that. The two angels appear to them and essentially say this, why are you looking for someone who's alive in a cemetery? And they're thinking, well, we had followed his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had gone to Pilate, asked for permission to take the body off of the cross. They had stuck Jesus' body in the tomb, and they are sitting across from the tomb and then approach the tomb. And they're thinking to themselves, the reason why you go to a cemetery to look for a body is because Jesus was dead. And the angel informs these women, He is not here. He is risen, just as He said. Well, they run very excitedly back to the disciples and some other individuals. They upload what the angels have told them that Jesus is not there. He is resurrected. And as most men do, when a woman is excited and shares information, the men do not believe the women. As a matter of fact, it says in the Gospel of Luke, it sounded like nonsense to them. So the men take off running, they go to the tomb, Peter and John, and they do not find the body, and it says they are wondering what has happened. They're wondering. Now right after that, what we discover is, Gospel of Luke brings to us what's called, or the episode that's called, the road to Emmaus. So we're going to read more scripture than we normally do, but I would like for you to invest yourself in this story. Here's why. When you look at the story, you're going to discover there are two disciples that are walking to Emmaus. This is a seven-mile journey that goes northwest out of Jerusalem. And there are two disciples on the road, but the Gospel of Luke only tells us one of them. His name is Clopas. You'll read that in a moment. But I believe that we do know who the other disciple was. I'll get that near the end of the sermon But I believe the reason why only one of the disciples is named is because you are supposed to walk the road with Clopas. You are supposed to step into the story and walk with Clopas. And so, we're going to read now from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 13. The text will be up on the screen. I'm going to encourage you just to read it quietly to yourself as I read it out loud. Here we go. The road to Emmaus. Now that same day, in other words, the same day Jesus was raised from the dead, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now here's what you need to know. By the fact that they are exiting Jerusalem means that they are exiting what they thought they knew about God. Jerusalem is the center of the Jewish faith. And because Jesus is dead, they are now walking home. To walk away from Jerusalem is synonymous with people who have walked away from God. Some of you are sitting here this morning. You are a person that in your younger days had a relationship with God. 
But for whatever reason, for whatever you faced, you have walked away. You are not here by accident. God has ordained this moment. So let's pick up our reading as the Scripture tells us that there are two disciples and they are walking away from Jerusalem. Here's what the Gospel of Luke tells us. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. Now, can you imagine the conversation they were having? Can you imagine? There are two disciples. They are exiting Jerusalem. They are leaving the center of the faith of the Jewish reality. They are walking away and they begin to talk to each other. And as they talk to each other, picture what they've just been through. In the past 72 hours, they have watched their leader be executed. He was tried in a kangaroo court in the middle of the night, which is completely illegal. The Bible tells us that Jesus was flogged, beaten, that the disciples kind of stood at a distance. They observed this. They started peeling off one by one. And then these two disciples, their beloved rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, was executed. It was brutal. Can you imagine the connection they had because of the events that they had seen. And the Bible tells us that they're talking about these recent events as they're walking away. Now, I'm going to kind of give a little commercial for the military community event that we're going to be having next Sunday afternoon. And here's why. If you are part of the military community, and you've ever seen active duty or been with people who have, you know that some of the things that they have seen and some of the things that they have been through, they need people to walk with them through those things. And so that's why we're throwing this event for the military community next Sunday afternoon. We have a burden for the service that you've provided to our country. We want to make sure that you journey with other people who are following Jesus but have been through similar things as you have. And so again, that sounds like a cheap commercial for the event next Sunday afternoon for the military community, people that work for the Department of Defense or the National Ground Intelligence Center, but it's purposeful. Because you see, when you walk with God, you need people to talk to that understand your perspective. And this is what is happening. These two disciples have seen the unthinkable. They are exiting Jerusalem. They are walking away. And they're talking about everything that has happened. And the Scripture says they were kept from recognizing Jesus as He steps in and walks with them. Here's another quick thought. I believe anytime, anywhere in this world that someone honestly talks about Jesus, He shows up. I'm simple enough to believe that. That every time someone holds a conversation about Jesus, He joins in. We pick up our story and it says this, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. 
their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. Have you ever listened into a conversation where people talked about you? Have you ever had that creepy experience? Where you're around the corner at work and two people are talking about you. And you find out what they think about you and what they believe about you. Well, here's Jesus. He's in lockstep with them, taking that seven-mile journey to Emmaus. And as he's walking with them, he says, what things? And they began to tell him about himself and how they view him. Here we go. Here's what it says. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, and here's what they believed about Jesus. He was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. And it tells us this. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, in other words, beginning with the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Malachi. What a seven-mile discipleship journey. It says Jesus starts with Moses, the book of Genesis, and all the prophets to the book of Malachi. And he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. By the way, every pastor, every theologian, Every Bible teacher would give everything they have to eavesdrop on that conversation. That is the mother load. What did Jesus say from the Older Testament about Himself? Here's what I believe. I believe from here on in the Newer Testament, we learn exactly what Jesus taught them. That's what the Newer Testament is about. Reading on. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at their kitchen table, their little dinette, he was sitting with them. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They're heading back into their faith. They're heading right back into Jerusalem, the center of faith in God. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. The Bible tells us this story. And the purpose for this story is to reveal to us the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's how the Scriptures describe these disciples. Here's what it says. It says, they stood still and their faces were downcast. Now, I have a question. Have any of you ever had an episode that when you talked about it, it literally stops you in your tracks and you become depressed? You ever had that experience? Any of us? All right, let me rephrase the question. How many of you remember when the University of Virginia lost in the first round of March Madness? Right there. You stood still, totally stunned, and you got depressed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There we go. Now you're clued in. Now listen, I have an event in my life, and maybe you have a similar one. I have an event in my life where something happened that was so shocking to me that it literally caused me to stop and everything I had thought about the future and where I was going and what I would be doing had seemingly been removed from my life. Now picture these two disciples. They're walking on the road to Emmaus and when Jesus walks up to him, them and asks them the question, what are you talking about? It says they stood still and their faces were downcast. What they experienced through the death of Jesus had stunned them. Absolutely stunned them. Now, the Bible explains to us very carefully as to why. And here's why. It says, they crucified Him. These are the two disciples talking. They crucified Him. But we had hoped that He would be the one who was going to, and what are the next two words? Redeem Israel. You see, they believed that Jesus Christ would be the one who would sit on David's throne. They believed that Jesus was the one who God had uniquely anointed as the Messiah. By the way, the word Messiah means anointed one or the wet one. It means the one on whom God had poured out His Spirit. And all of those disciples, including these two on the road to Emmaus, had observed His life. And in observing his life, they had seen miracles. They had seen dead people revive. They had seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. They had seen food multiply. They had seen all of these things. And they came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the longed-for King of Israel. The one who would sit on David's throne. And in sitting on David's throne, he would whoop the Romans. And in whooping the Romans, he would set Israel free as a nation. He would deliver them from their oppressors. 
and an amazing thing would happen. And that is Israel would worship God in peace and all of their enemies would be conquered and they once again would experience the peace they experienced under King David. But you see, here's the problem. Instead of Jesus conquering Rome, Rome killed him. What do you do when you think the guy who's going to redeem Israel and be the Messiah and be the king, what do you do when the guy you thought was going to be that is dead? He's gone. And to redeem literally means to buy back, to release from slavery. They were looking for Jesus to redeem the nation of Israel. That's why they stop in their tracks. That's why the Bible tells us that they were depressed. I had an event in my own life that was a little bit more important than UVA losing in March Madness. My wife and I, Fran, we were engaged to be married. We were engaged for several months. We'd been dating for two years. You know how it works in the world. You date for about two years and you get engaged. That's how it works. So we were dating. We met in grad school. We had a little bit of a long-distance relationship. Then I was a campus pastor, and we were still together, and things were going great, and I asked her to marry me. And we were through the wedding shower. We were through all of that stuff. And we were five weeks from getting married. And we called it off. And the reason why is because there were things we needed to work through. I didn't know it at the time, but what I did know was is that our relationship, which had gone so well, was beginning to get rocky and things weren't working as well as they should. And So I'll never forget the night that Fran handed me the engagement ring back. She said, I don't want to do this. I was crushed. And so what ended up happening was my vision for the future, how I saw my life going, the trajectory of my life, everything along with that. And on top of that, I was convinced God had spoken to me that Fran was to be my wife. And all I want to say about that is this. God's will is made up of God's provision at God's time. That equals God's will. You can have God's provision and get ahead, get ahead of God's time. That's another sermon in and among itself. But I think you get the point. So here I am. We're no longer engaged to be married. And the trajectory of my, my life and the thoughts I had about God's leading in my life seemingly were evaporating and were gone. I had a dear friend of mine who reached out to me in order to help me during that season. He said, Pete, I own a cabin up in Maine. Why don't you go up there with me? And so I went up for a week. And I remember just being numb out on this lake in Maine. There's nothing like being depressed and being woken up by loons every morning. <laughs> then I came back. And I came back to the Princeton area. And then one day, the most awesome phone call ever happened. It was Fran. And she called me up. And she said, I can't live without you. And I said, I know. <laughs> I mean, what else do you say, right? 
And then all of a sudden, the trajectory of my life and what I thought God had showed me and all of that came back together. But I know how the disciples felt when you think that you know and it doesn't happen. Not the way you think it will. God gets to be God. We get to follow Him. And so we dated two more years. And then we were married. Now here's what I want to say. These disciples are rocked to the core. And the reason for that is, is because they believed that He was going to redeem Israel. But there's not a whole lot you can do with a dead king. Rome has won. But then the Bible tells us that as they're walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus gives them a seven-mile discipleship, discipleship journey. By the way, that would be similar to you walking out the front door of the pack and walking all the way to the airport off of 29. That's the seven-mile journey. little over seven miles. And the Bible tells us that they're, while they're walking, Jesus was kept or they were kept from recognizing Him. They didn't know who He was. But man, could he teach Scripture. And so when they get to their house, the disciples, those two, invite him in. And here's what the Bible tells us. That when he was invited in, it says this. Sorry. Sorry. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm getting more sorry. Here we go. Here's what he did. The Bible says Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then what does it say? Then the eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Do you recognize this phrase? And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. So here they are at their little kitchenette table and Jesus does communion with them. And just like we'll read in Corinthians in just a moment before we take communion, he gives thanks, he breaks the bread. And when he hands it to them, their eyes are open instantly and they recognize Jesus. And here's the question. Why did they not recognize him earlier? Why was it that they were prevented from recognizing Jesus? Here's why. If they would have recognized Jesus earlier, they would have never listened to the teaching. They would have gotten all emotionally sideways. But they had to hear this teaching because this teaching would carry the truth of Jesus through the entire world. And as I said earlier, I believe from that teaching on, the Newer Testament uploads to us everything that Jesus taught them. And so their eyes were kept from recognizing Him because if they had, they'd have been emotionally overwhelmed. They had to hear that teaching. And as we've already read, the Bible tells us that once their eyes are open, they jump up from the table and in the middle of the night, they run back to Jerusalem and tell everyone who will listen, He has risen just as He said. Just as He said. But here's the other fascinating thing that you need to know. 
Not only is that Scripture familiar to us in the sense of the idea of Jesus breaking bread, but there's this amazing verse found in the book of Genesis right at the beginning of your Bible. And here's what it says. When Adam and Eve fell and when sin entered the human race, the Bible tells us that Eve gave some of the forbidden fruit to her husband, Adam. And the Bible says this, and he ate it. And then what does the book of Genesis tell us? The eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So at the beginning of humankind, right when creation is happening, sin enters the human race. And as sin enters the human race, the forbidden fruit is handed. And when that is eaten, suddenly dysfunction, sin, brokenness, and all hell breaks loose in creation and the human race. Literally, all hell breaks loose. And what we discover is from this moment on, people have lived with dysfunction and brokenness. They've lived with disconnectivity to God and to each other. People have been overwhelmed by the sin, that alien invader that entered the human race. But you see, notice the verbiage. It says that something is handed, and when it is eaten, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they recognized they were naked. And the Bible said they were so ashamed that they hid from God and from each other. You see, what's happening in the Gospel of Luke is so absolutely critical to understand, and it is this. In Jesus, there is a new creation. In Jesus Christ, there is a new creation. And when Jesus breaks bread, just like we're going to in a few moments, when Jesus breaks the bread and hands it over to these two disciples, the Bible clearly depicts Genesis 3. And it says their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. Instead of seeing shame and brokenness and dysfunction and sin and pain and sorrow and a lack of hope, their eyes are opened and they see Him who is hope. They see Him resurrected from the dead. They see Him as the one that death, hell, and the grave, everything that invaded in the book of Genesis, could not keep Him. And He's right there at their kitchen table. Right there. Listen. Please know this. In order to put our feet to faith when it comes to this message, it's very simple. The Gospel of John tells us this, and it's this, so simply. It tells us that the work of God is to believe in Him who has sent us. We're going to get to that in a moment. But I want you to know what the road to Emmaus is. The road to Emmaus is the distance between believing in a God who started things and Jesus of Nazareth. What do I mean by this? I mean this, that the road to Emmaus in the Gospel of Luke takes two people who they believe God is Creator. They believe God started things. But what they find on the road to Emmaus is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and the King of Kings. He is the firstborn of new creation. And here's what I want to say. I rarely, if ever, meet people that do not believe that there's something that started everything. But you see, the road to Emmaus is that road of faith 
that closes that distance between a God that just simply starts things and a God that is personal in Jesus. Personal. I don't know where you're at with faith in God. But the story of the resurrection of Jesus is simply this. It's to convince you and to convince me that God is a God who is a personal God. That God stepped into the world through His Son Jesus. And because He is resurrected from the dead, you can close the distance between a God who starts stuff and a God who is absolutely personal to you. That's what I've discovered. And so in line, that, in line with that, here's what we know. We know this whole idea of the sense that John's Gospel teaches us that we are to be a people and our work of faith is to believe. Your work of faith to be right with God is not to go out and do enough good things. Here's why. You'll never know when you've done enough. In order to get right with God, it's not about going out and crossing out all your wrongs. That's not how it works. Getting right with God is to look at the resurrected Christ and to understand that He is risen from the dead and that Creator God has personally invested Himself in this world. And there are two disciples on the very day that Jesus was raised from the dead had communion with Him at their kitchen table and it transformed everything about their belief in God. Everything. Here's what I want to tell you. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely everything. And if He is raised from the dead, and He is, if He defeated death, and He did, if He conquered sin through the resurrection, and He did, this morning, your eyes can be opened to Jesus as well. That is not a singular miracle that took place 2,000 years ago in a little, little village a little bit north, seven miles north of Jerusalem called Emmaus. That same miracle can take place right here at the Martin Luther King Performing Arts Center in Charlottesville, Virginia right now. And that is this, is that there's a God who did start everything, but He personally invested Himself into this world. And the resurrection of His Son proves to us that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Now I'm going to ask that you would do something with me and that's take out the communion that you were handed as you came through the door. As you take out your communion, If you were not served communion or you did not get it when you walked through the door, I want you to raise your hand right now. We have people that are prepared to hand you communion. So is there anyone here that needs communion? You were not served as you came through the door. Please raise your hand. Before we take communion, I'd like us to take a quick moment and my question is, what will you do with the resurrected Jesus? To put feet to our faith when it comes to the road to Emmaus, it simply means this, what will you do with Jesus? Will you open up your heart to Him by faith this morning and accept Him for who He is? 
The road to Emmaus is the distance between something that started everything and a God who is very personal and will sit down with you right now through Christ and your eyes can be opened to who Jesus really is. I love that. And how does that happen? That happens just simply through prayer. It's where you're sitting here this morning, and I know that right now some of us are sitting there and our hearts are strangely warmed within us the same way those two disciples experienced when they were on the road to Emmaus. Their hearts are, your heart is stirred. You sense that Jesus is calling you. And I told you at the beginning of this teaching or this sermon that I believe we know who the other disciple was. It was Clopas and his wife Mary, the one who was at the cross of Christ. And Clopas and Mary were walking back home. They were exiting what they thought to be true about God. And when they were walking, Jesus stepped in next to them and went to their house and sat at their kitchen table with husband and wife. And in that moment when he broke bread, their eyes were opened to Jesus. If you're here this morning and your heart is strangely warmed within you, that's the Holy Spirit calling you to open up your life to Christ. God's calling you. The same way that Jesus chased down Clopas and his wife Mary as they were exiting faith, Jesus is now doing the same for you. He's tapping you and calling you. And the way you give your life to Jesus is profound but simple. And it's where you pray a prayer. And the prayer goes something like this, and if you would like to pray it, I'm just going to ask that we would all close our eyes. But if you would like to pray this prayer, the prayer goes something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is, that if you're resurrected from the dead, then you have something to say to me. That you are someone that has power over the sin of my life. That you are someone that can take me as I am and reveal yourself to me so that I too can follow you. So God, now thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for coming into my life, coming into this world. And Jesus, I now choose to accept you. Jesus, in this moment, I repent from where I've been and what I've done. I pray that you would cleanse me, that you would take me, and you would call me and fill me with your spirit so that I can follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, thank you for what you have done for me that I can walk with you on this road to Emmaus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, in Christ's name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to do something that we're going to be doing in just a moment. That is, in a few moments, the buckets will be passed to take up the offering. And as they are, I'm going to ask that you would take out your bulletin, their newsfeed in just a moment after we take communion. But you would put out your put down your basic contact information, check the box that tells us that you've decided to follow Jesus or 
you've decided to recommit your life to Jesus. This is so important to us that we would know that you've made that commitment because we want to journey with you in your newfound faith in Christ. It is so important for us that you would give us the privilege of doing that and to helping you. So if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that you would tell someone before you exit city that I prayed that prayer to accept Jesus today but that you would also give us that basic contact information so we can journey with you in your walk with Christ. And now, because people have had the opportunity to be right with Jesus, we're going to take communion together. And so would you please stand with me as we prepare to eat the Lord's Supper? I have no clue what it was like for those two disciples to sit at their kitchen table and have the first ever communion with Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me tell you, it's going to be the same right now with us. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians, The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. For you. Let's hold the bread up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for what that means for us. That through your broken body, we can find healing. Because by your stripes, we're healed. Because of your broken body, we know that you came in flesh just like us. And yet you lived a sinless life. And because of your body being nailed to a cross, we know that our sins are atoned for. Jesus, thank you. Let's eat the bread together. And the Bible says in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you that your blood not only covers our sin, but removes them eternally from our lives. So Jesus, in this moment, we think of those areas of our lives where we know that we need your shed blood. We ask that you would forgive us that you would cleanse us and that through the symbol of this cup our eyes would be opened to the truth of the resurrected Christ and we pray these things in Jesus name Amen let's drink together you may be seated
The worship team is going to begin to play. And I would like for us just to take a few moments in God's presence. To take a few moments to let God continue to minister to our hearts. As we do that, the offering is now going to be passed. If you're newer to City, we're going to ask that you would be open to maybe giving us your information if you're our guest. But as the offering is now being passed, let's take a few moments to allow God to minister to our hearts. that our prayer team would begin to move at this time and our life group leaders. We have people that are prepared to pray with you and to pray for you. So again, if our prayer people could move at this time and our life group leaders. But I want to encourage you that if you have a need in your life and you have a burden that you're carrying, do not exit this auditorium without going to one of our prayer people and asking them to pray with you and to pray for you. We've seen God deeply touch people during this time of prayer. And so if you would, we're going to move towards a season of worship just for the next few moments. Would you please remain in worship and thank God for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And again, if you need prayer, move to those people who are along the walls that will pray with you and for you. 
Well, let's take a moment to give thanks to God for what He has done for us through Christ. Let's worship together. resurrection and for resurrection life. Lord, now I ask that you would bless us and that you would keep us, that you would cause your face to shine upon us and that you would give us your peace and your grace until we meet again. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And amen. You can remain in worship and in prayer if you would like. And when your heart is full, please exit quietly. God bless. Love.
Surrounded by 
before us and preparing the way. Help us trust you, God. Help us rest in that. Help us understand that we don't need to do this alone. You've gone before us, God. The battle has been won.